five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Yeah. 
вашой форгодой и тока в кольде мамодако еще ма Oh, 
Thank you. 
J.M. in the A.M. David Gabe with Osim Chuva. Uh, this is the week for that song. Well, yeah, even better next week, right? Sarah made Chuva. Uh, Vino Malkena done by Yehuda Green. Umacha and uh, Hashivenu, both from the Rabbi's Sons. How many people were shocked to hear that Hashivenu comes from the Rabbi's Sons? Um, Uva Shofer from Dudu Fisher. Shlomo Kalbach and Hannah Shemalach. Barosha Shana and Shma Kolenu from Dvekis and from uh, Dovavin, you heard Uva Shofar. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Thursday. Welcome to a Wednesday. Welcome to a Wednesday, everybody, on this 13th day of September, day number 27 in the month of, uh, in the month of Elul. Friday night begins the brand new year. Yeah, this was also an amazing stretch of music. 
If you just tuned in, do yourself a favor later on, toss on this archive and listen to the first 45 minutes of the show. <laughs> a lot of great selections, especially for this time of year. Uh, I want to thank everybody for the beautiful words regarding our tribute to Deddy yesterday. It was a, a combination of uh, speaking of Deddy's incredible chesed and love and commitment to people, and in addition, telling some funny stories that only he could either get away with or only he could uh, have thought of, frankly. Uh, my thanks to Ding for joining us. Got a lot of reaction to that conversation yesterday from around the world. And... Um, you know, we, we, we basically approached it from the, from the standpoint of, uh, of a long friendship. Ding knew uh, Daddy, as he described yesterday, from the mid-70s. I knew him from uh, the early part of the 90s when he was uh, such a uh, vital part of the Jewish music industry, which he always was, but particularly then, he was just the hottest thing ever, and we had the opportunity to be together on stage and at different events countless times. So you can imagine if every encounter with Deddy, you know, was unique, you can imagine if you had the opportunity to do it week after week uh, with him for a while, it was, uh, it was something. Uh, so my thanks to Ding for participating with me yesterday on that. Uh, coming up today here at JMM, first of all, we're going to check in with our friends in Yerushalayim, Ronnie Timzit, who is getting set for Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot at the uh, Inbal Hotel. He's, of course, the manager of the Inbal, which is our headquarters in Israel. We'll speak with him coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Tomorrow's a big day for us, and I hope that you'll enjoy our broadcast. Tomorrow, uh, I assume, will be full. Speaking of stories, we'll be filled with great stories, reminiscences, um, a look back at 40 years. Tomorrow is our 40th anniversary celebration, Jam in the AM. My first show was uh, Erev Rosh Hashanah in 1983. I got to thank Mark Zamek, L.E.Y. Katz, um, Yako from Poppies here on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, it, I would not have uh, scheduled anything for tomorrow, frankly, other than mentioning on the air. There would have been probably nothing except for a mention on the air uh, tomorrow and Friday that, uh, you know, it's 40 years and how significant that is. And obviously we have our 40th anniversary campaign coming up and a year filled with what I hope will be great celebration for this 40th anniversary. So I didn't uh, plan anything, but then basically Mark Zamek and to tell this audience about how dedicated a friend and staff member Mark Zamek is, uh, wouldn't take long. I think everybody listening knows that he basically insisted. Uh, he insisted that this day can't go by without some recognition. So even though he's one of the busiest people, that I know he has set aside tomorrow morning to bring together a lot of people live in person and on the telephone who will be uh, acknowledging the 40 years of JM and the AM that we're so proud of and uh, looking forward to it tomorrow. Really, really looking forward to it tomorrow. If you have an opportunity, stop by. It's Poppies, West Englewood Avenue, Teaneck, New Jersey. Guaranteed there, well, guaranteed. Please God, Bezrat Hashem, guaranteed between 6 and 9. We might even go overtime tomorrow, um, which I would not be surprised if we do. And um, it, should be, it should be a fun show. There's a lot to look back. I was trying to, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I've done this now. I mean, Matis can affirm this based on his, <laughs> based on his um, incredible calculations. I've done over 10,000 JM in the AMs, which is an astounding figure. 
And I, I said to myself this morning, I was up really early this morning between 3 and 4. I said to myself this morning, I wonder if someone asked, what was your favorite day at JM and the AM? Of all the days, what was your favorite? Over 10,000 days at JM and the AM, what was your favorite? And, of course, you know, you lean toward the more recent ones because those are the ones fresh in your memory. But then I started thinking back to some of the ones, you know, from, from years ago. And uh, obviously it's debatable. I don't think there's any definitive answer as to what was the greatest day, but there are a lot of great answers to that question, in my opinion. Maybe it'll come up tomorrow. Anyway, join us. Uh, what are we giving away tomorrow? We've got, um, well, well, we have, of course, uh, Nahum Single Network mugs and pens. Those are our basic staples. Got to leave with a mug and a pen. Uh, and by the way, we keep getting compliments. You should hear Chief of Staff Eagle talk about the uh, NSN pens. Woo! Uh, <laughs> a lot of compliments about how great these pens are. Uh, so we've got we've got the pens, we've got the mugs. Um, we are going to um, we're going to have a special a special gourmet popcorn gift uh, that was made with the assistance of our dear friends at Pop Insanity. Uh, so we'll have that special for Rosh Hashanah. And wasn't there one other thing? Or am I I'm trying to think? Um, oh, and yeah, we've got the candy. We've got candies that are in the shape of the unique and brand new NSN JM and the AM 40th anniversary logo. So people will have that to take home for a happy, healthy, and sweet new year as well. So that's some of the stuff that's going to be happening tomorrow here at the JM and the AM. Very much looking forward to the big celebration. I hope you're able to join us. Friday is Arab Rosh Hashanah, but for us, a, a somewhat regular Friday show with a weekly update, Rabbi Yudin, Harry Rothenberg, and much, much more. So Friday will be a, a quote-unquote regular show, and the only uh, days that will be off will be uh, Sunday, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, and Monday. Uh, no, Monday we're here. Of course Monday we're here. Uh, Sunday, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, there will be no network programming. And the following week, Monday will be off for Yom Kippur. Um. But generally speaking, we are here all... That's the only weekday. The only weekday that, that's affected by this calendar is... Um, yeah, the only weekday affected is Yom Kippur itself. Otherwise, Monday through Friday, we're here throughout Sukkot and, uh, of course, uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. JM and the AM, Wednesday morning broadcast, uh, getting ready for tomorrow and the big celebration. Join us at Poppy's West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. Don't forget, we have a Chesed campaign going on. NahumSiegel.com slash Chesed. NahumSiegel.com slash Chesed. Uh, all the recommendations for the Chesed campaign and the different things we've discussed are on the page. You can uh, check it out and uh, decide, you know, which of the institutions you'd like to support, which of the efforts and causes you'd like to support. Also, there's a special page that's been designated for the uh, Jews of the Ukraine campaign. Uh, the Jewish community of the Ukraine does need basic necessities for Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. Uh, go to uh, officeofchiefrabbi.org slash Nahum. Officeofchiefrabbi.org slash Nahum. Oh, speaking of calendar, which we, uh, we, which we were just talking about a few minutes ago, Speaking of calendar, uh, you can imagine that the year 5784, like every Jewish year, 
has some interesting things about it. And uh, and Rabbi David Heber, our calendaric consultant, is anxious, and I can't blame him, as am I, to discuss the year 5784 on the air. So we've set aside Wednesday morning, September the 20th, which is right in the middle of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, right? It's right in the smack in the middle of the Aserah Shemei Tshuva. Uh, Wednesday morning, September the 20th at 7.35, Rabbi David Heber, on the year 5784, he has already, but he always says this, <laughs> he always says this, that there's a lot to talk about regarding the new year. He, of course, says that about every year, <laughs> but 5784 does have some interesting things going on. It is a leap year after all. There's a lot of interesting things to be discussed, and that we'll do on the 20th of September. So by David Heber coming up on September the 20th for a discussion regarding the brand new year of 5784. And we're very much looking forward to that, that's for sure. I also want to remind our friends uh, who are listening who have um, children, relatives, uh, married couples, singles living in Lower Manhattan that our friends at the Bialystoker Synagogue are bringing in for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur the amazing and incredible Cantor Joel Kaplan. Cantor Joel Kaplan, who was just spectacular, is going to be um, davening at the leading the services at the Bialystoker Synagogue in the Lower East Side. So, if you know people in Lower Manhattan who are looking for a uh, real sanctuary, a real shul, a real chazan, a real service, uh, ask them to uh, check out the Bialystoker Synagogue, uh, where they will certainly feel and be enveloped by the spirit of the High Holidays. And uh, Joel Cap Cantor, Joel Kaplan, a, an amazing choice to lead services anywhere, but particularly uh, for our friends at the Bialystoker Shul. Should be in Bezrat Hashem. Will be a very, very nice Yom Tov. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, we'll check in with uh, Ronnie Timzit, the manager of the Inbal Hotel in Yushalayim. will give us the latest regarding tourism to Israel, which I hope is completely over the top and overflowing for this season of Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. I really hope so. Uh, we'll check with him coming up. Also, tomorrow morning, as we Good keep morning. saying, tomorrow morning we celebrate 40 years of JM and the AM. JM and the AM, my first encounter with this amazing audience was Erev Rosh Hashanah back in 1983. Tomorrow we celebrate the completion of the 40th year, our 40th anniversary show from Poppies on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. Thank you, Mark Zamek and my amazing staff. Thank you to... Um, Thank you to Ellie Y. Katz. Thank you to Yaakov and his staff at Poppy's. Tomorrow between 6 and 9 a.m. we'll have a chance to reminisce about the last 40 years and pay tribute to, uh, to an effort that has garnered over 10,000 JM and the AM shows. Yet another statistic that I cannot get over. <laughs> Galit Tal in the background. Galit Tal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Wednesday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Galit Tal, Yerushalayim, Asha 2, Tzoraim Tovim, Baulpan Rani Avnai, Imashe Kurei Achshav. 
המגעים להסכם עם ערב הסעודית, ראש הממשלה נתניהו אמר באירוע לרגל ראש השנה עם עובדי המשרד, ההזדמנות לשלום עשויה להגיע בשנה החדשה. אנחנו עומדים גם בפני אתגרים גדולים והזדמנויות גדולות. אנחנו עמלים, יחד עם ידידינו האמריקנים, להרחיב את מעגל השלום באופן שישנה את פניה של ישראל ואת פני המזרח התיכון, במידה רבה את פני העולם. אנחנו מתכוונים לשלום עם ערב הסעודית, אז יש פה עתיד גדול מאוד, ואם הוא יתממש, הוא יתממש בשנה הזאת. בנוסף אמר ראש הממשלה כי האתגר הגדול ביותר והראשון בפתח שנה החדשה הוא אתגר הביטחון. באשר לחקיקה המשפטית אמר נתניהו, אני מאמין כי עוד ניתן יהיה להגיע להסכמה, מדבריו הביא כתבנו יניר קוזין. בתוך כך במשטרת ירושלים מזהים עלייה באיומי הטרור לקראת חגי תשרי. מדווחת כתבתנו בבירה נועה ברנס. בהיערכות לחגים אמר מפקד מחוז ירושלים ניצב דורון תורג'מן, יש התראות רבות לאירועי טרור, נציב חמוש בכל בית כנסת. אתמול נעצר פלסטיני ברחוב סולטן סולימאן בחשד שהתכוון לבצע פיגוע בעיר ושמונה מוסלמים הורחקו מהר הבית בחשד להסתה והפרות סדר. מתחילת השנה סוכלו 31 פיגועים שתוכננו בבירה, מאות שוטרים יוצבו ברחבי ירושלים וייערכו לאירועים ההמוניים בעיר כולה ובעיר העתיקה בפרט. במועצת רשות מקרקעי ישראל דנים כעת בהצעה שתגדיל את ההנחות לרכישת קרקעות בנגב ובגליל. כחלק ממתווה הנחות חדש, תינתן הנחה נוספת בגובה 10% למשרתי מילואים, וזאת בין השאר במטרה להגדיל את מספר היהודים ביחס למספר הערבים באותם אזורים. השרה אורית סטרוק, שיזמה את ההצעה עם השר גולדקנופ, אמרה, מדובר בהחלטה דרמטית שתביא לשינוי דמוגרפי באזורי העדיפות הלאומית. ערב ראש השנה תשפ"ג בישראל חיים כתשעה מיליון ושמונה מאות אלף תושבים, גידול של יותר ממאה ותשעים אלף מהשנה שעברה. מדווח כתבנו לענייני פנים, שי ישראל. לפי נתוני הלשכה המרכזית לסטטיסטיקה, האוכלוסייה בארץ נעמדת על תשעה מיליון שבע מאות תשעים וחמישה אלף איש, וצפויה להגיע לעשרה מיליון עד לסוף שנת אלפיים עשרים וארבע. האוכלוסייה היהודית נעמדת בשבעה מיליון מאה שמונים אלף, המהווים שבעים ושלושה אחוזים מכלל הציבור. האוכלוסייה הערבית עומדת על יותר משני מיליון תושבים, שהם עשרים ואחד אחוזים. אוכלוסיית ישראל גדלה בשנה האחרונה בכשני אחוזים, בהם שישים ושישה אלף עולים חדשים. מעצר העריק מהפלג הירושלמי, קבוצות של חרדים קיצוניים הודיעו כי יקיימו היום מספר הפגנות משעות אחרי הצהריים בירושלים, בני ברק וראש פינה. זאת בעקבות המעצר של בחור הישיבה שלא הגיע ללשכת הגיוס על מנת לקבל פטור, כמו מרבית החרדים. מזג האוויר לסיום, הגשמים צפויים להיפסק בשעות הערב. אלה החדשות שערך היום יובל שגב.
JM in the AM. Wednesday morning broadcast with some of the great selections for this time of year, to say the least. That's Revi Schwebel with uh, Die here at JM in the AM. Before that, uh, Michal Przanski had Melech Uchuva done by Hillel Kapnik. It's uh, all off of the inscribed album from a few years back. You may, may remember that collection. As we wish everybody to be inscribed for a happy, healthy, and sweet new year ahead here at JM in the AM. Uh, as we get set tomorrow to celebrate our 40 years, tomorrow is the 40th anniversary celebration. That's right, the 40th anniversary celebration of JM and the AM happening here in Teaneck, New Jersey at Poppy's on West Englewood Avenue. Hoping that everybody has an opportunity to stop by at some point. Big thank you to Mark Zomick, coordinating the entire thing with L.E.Y. Katz and with Yakov at Poppy's and everybody who's had a hand in making tomorrow a very special morning for us. A day of um, good wishes and reminiscences, I hope. And those of you who are longtime listeners of this show, I have a feeling you'll appreciate it more than others. Uh, as I said earlier, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some of the JM and the AM episodes from many, many years ago. It's easy to remember the ones that happened recently, but the ones from many, many years ago, not always the uh, easiest ones to um recollect but i have a feeling that a lot of them will come up tomorrow in conversation here at jm in the am feel free to comment on the app go to the nsn now home single network app for android and iphone and comment away listener arnie not only wishes us a happy 40th he actually donated just now to support us on nsn and uh, the foundation for jewish broadcasting and i thank you for that listener Edie, our d- wonderful neighbor checking in mazel tov on 40 years of amazing broadcasting this one, this listener says, too wild for words. Interesting. If you're referring to the fact that we're about to celebrate the 40th and that we've done over 10,000 JM and the AMs, I think I agree with you. Uh, Trucker Yitz says, we had a few minutes of rain at the Kotel this morning. Now it's cloudy. Good afternoon, Israel. Well, well, here it was pouring like crazy. I drove through a monsoon to get here this morning. Uh, but I saw some videos from different places in Israel. Some places in Israel had a lot of rain today. And I mean a lot of rain. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. Uh, listener Tina wants to know about the composition that we were playing at 6.15 this morning. I believe that was the uh, Dvekis, Dvekis volume number four. We played Shmakolenu and Barosh Hashanah, and I think that's the one that you are referring to. Wednesday morning, JM in the AM. Yesterday on this, uh, on this program, I neglected a couple of things that were on the app. AJA Carpool number 204 checked in yesterday, wishing a happy seventh anniversary to Shira, seventh birthday, rather, to Carpooler Shira. Shana Tova to all. That's listener Daniel. I'll try to do that a little later also. If we could do that. And uh, what was the other? There was another. There was another. Uh, oh, yeah. Earlier in the week, I felt bad that I uh, missed this one. Um, earlier in the week, listener Ruvain uh, wished good luck. Um to Sarahana. Sarahana just started second grade. So her Tati wishes her good luck. First day of second grade. Sarahana, make it a great year ahead. And the best wishes for a great brand new year from all of us here at JM and the AM. Yeah, it's nice to recognize the friends and supporters this time of year, especially as we're about to celebrate such a significant anniversary. So thank you to everybody for checking in. It is 
Much appreciated. JM and the AM as we continue here on a Wednesday morning broadcast. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. This is a... Um, let me see if I could find it. Um, this is a selection. Oh, yeah, here it is. Book of Good Life, Maccabees, JM and the AM.
JM and the AM Book of Good Life, done by our friends at YU Maccabees here at JM and the AM. A reminder by David Goldwasser is going to be speaking on the 20th of September. On the 20th of September, Rabbi Goldwasser speaks to the Young Israel of East Brunswick. That begins at 7.30 p.m. Um, he'll speak on reaching out to Hashem, the fine art of tshuva. And uh, you know, everybody out there knows what I think and how I would always recommend going to Rabbi Goldwasser's lectures and shiurim. They are amazing. But when it comes to this time of year, he's simply spectacular. So... Try your best to circle the calendar, Wednesday, September the 20th, 7.30 p.m. at the Young Israel of East Brunswick, a program sponsored by our good friends B and Ralph Rosenbaum and Rabbi Goldwasser again appearing. It's a week from tonight, a week from tonight, Young Israel of East Brunswick for Rabbi David Goldwasser. Uh, the aforementioned Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonishmas Harav Zebin of Yisrovalevi and Zechonishmas Esther Basri of Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. Ezra Sofer came to Eretz Yisrael in the beginning of Bayashani. He had 42,000 people with him. The Matzav Ruchani in Eretz Yisrael was very bad. The people were distanced from Hashem. There was intermarriage. There was problems with Shabbos and Kashras. On Rosh Hashanah, they came to Ezra crying about their Matzav, the situation. And Ezra said... Today is sacred, it's Kaddish. Don't mourn, don't weep. Go and eat rich foods, drink sweet beverages. Today is Kaddish Lashem. Don't be sad. The enjoyment of Hashem is your strength. This is really strange. Is this what Ezra should answer them? They're crying about their matzav ruchani, their spiritual situation. And he tells them, don't cry, just eat and drink. It seems to be exactly the opposite, that they should cry. It's proper. Why was he moira Why did Ezra decide to instruct the people to stop the crying and rejoice and to partake of pseudos? The answer is that as they were crying on Rosh Hashanah, the sadness broke their hearts. It was a time of Romus HaNefesh, of uplifting the soul, of Rosh Hashanah, that would inspire them to return to Hashem. At that moment, everything turned to good. They were Zoha, they were meriting to be Mekabal Alev Chadash, a brand new heart, in a Ruach Hadasha, in a new spirit. That's the reason that they had to stop crying and be besimcha. They had to eat and drink and rejoice, celebrating their forgiveness, celebrating their new lease on life. In one moment, a person can change everything. That is the power of Rosh Hashanah. It is the chance for all of us to change our life. In order to change the life from one extreme to the other, a person who was once on the lowest madrega, the lowest level, can now reach to the highest heights. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. Be
Chosveinu from Yoel David Goldstein here at JM in the AM. Yosef Karduner's Adam Yesodo. We introduced that yesterday with Shlomo Katz on the air. Great song. Messengers with Uvoa Ovdim. Yes, that's the messengers. Speaking of nostalgia, you know, we're thinking of nostalgia things here because we're going uh, back tomorrow uh, through 40 years of amazing Jewish radio as we celebrate tomorrow the 40th anniversary of JM in the AM. So, I don't know. I felt nostalgic. Went back to the messengers. What do you think of that? JM and the AM, good morning. Listener Daniel's down in Atlanta. And yesterday, I, I mentioned this earlier, yesterday I noticed on the app that we had missed a um, happy birthday wish. So, I'm going to take this opportunity to say uh, happy birthday to uh, Shira. Happy seventh birthday to carpooler Shira, who's with the AJA carpool number 204. Shana tova to all. Listener, Daniel, hope you're doing well. Shana tova to you. Uh, he remembers a, a good portion of the last 40 years. That I could tell you. Um, what else do we have here? Oh, Coach Bobby and Ruby are wishing us many more years of success. Another 40. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Another 40 would be amazing. <laughs> Uh, listener Miriam says, Mazel on 40 years. We can't let you uh, tell you enough how much our entire family has loved listening to you over these many, many years. Yashikoch, may Hashem give you the strength to continue many years to come. Lenny and Miriam Hall stuck in the entire Mishpacha. Shnatavah to you guys. And um, tune in tomorrow. Let us know if you have a special memory of the last 40 years. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Big thank you to Mark Zamek, L.E.Y. Katz, Yako from Poppies here in Teaneck, New Jersey, and everybody who had a role in uh, planning tomorrow's big event. Much appreciated. We will have a, uh, we'll have a nice three-hour session of nostalgia and reminiscences which I frankly am looking forward to. It's been a, it's been quite a 40 years to say the least. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Rabbi Goldwasser speaks a week from tonight at the unusual of East Brunswick. Uh, that's one week from tonight. Circa your calendar and a big uh, yeshikach to be in Ralph Rosenbaum for sponsoring the event. Rabbi Goldwasser on Chuva next week, one week from tonight. Um at the Young Israel of East Brunswick. Don't forget about our Chesed page. Lots of uh, suggestions on it 
in terms of what you could do to help people before Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, nachomsegel.com slash chesed, nachomsegel.com slash chesed. Check that out. Also, our friends at the Bialystoker Shul remind everybody who has, who is in or has relatives in Lower Manhattan that Cantor Joel Kaplan is going to be leading services at the Bialystoker this Yuntif, these high holidays, which is an amazing choice. So if you're looking for a real shul, with a beautiful sanctuary, a real chazan, a real service. Uh, check out the Bialystoker Shul. Point your friends and relatives to the Bialystoker website, and uh, hopefully they will have an enhanced Yom Tov experience. More coming up. We're now at number two. Oh, you know who's going to be joining us? Today is the 30th anniversary of the Oslo Accords. Rabbi Stephen Przansky, who at one time was the uh, was the um, spiritual leader of the largest synagogue in Teaneck, New Jersey. He's going to be joining us next hour right here at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. with Yoni Eliav. He calls that the 2023 funk medley, if you will. Here at J.M. in the A.M. Yitzi Ackerman, Shuvuelai. Before that, you heard Yossi, uh, uh, Yoel David Goldstein, rather, with the Chasvenu, words that we'll start saying uh, Friday night when the brand new year commences. J.M. in the A.M. on a Wednesday morning broadcast. Uh, looking forward to tomorrow. Very, very much looking forward to tomorrow. Tomorrow we are uh, broadcasting live from Poppies on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey, right across the street from our New Jersey studio here at JM in the AM. Tomorrow is the 40th anniversary celebration of JM in the AM. I began Era of Russia Sun in 1983, and uh, kudos again and a big thank you to my dear friend Mark Zomik who uh, would not allow tomorrow to go by without some type of significant celebration. I was ready to just, you know, mark the day and uh, move on, so to speak. Uh, but Mark and L.E.Y. Katz and, of course, Yako from Poppies and many other people had a role in planning tomorrow, have a role in planning tomorrow's celebration. We'll be there between 6 and 9 a.m. Uh, please show up. Please come and celebrate Please tell us your favorite memory of the last 40 years. I've done more than 10,000 JM and the AMs at this point, so there's a lot to choose from, <laughs> to say the least, and very much looking forward to it. So Mazal Tov to us. Tomorrow we get to celebrate a day of reminiscence, and uh, please come by and uh, enjoy. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world of web and AlchemSiegel.com, on the AlchemSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. With us live via telephone from Israel is our good friend, Rabbi Stephen Przanski. It's been a while since Rabbi Przanski has been with us on the air. And this morning, I'm very anxious to speak with him because of what today is. And we'll remind you about that in a moment. Uh, Rabbi Przanski, of course, is Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation B'nai Yishurin here in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, at one time, the rabbi of the largest congregation here in Teaneck. Uh, he is the um, vice president Israel region of the Coalition for Jewish Values and Senior Research Associate at the Jerusalem Center for Applied Policy. I asked Ray Przansky to join me because uh, of what I went through 30 years ago. September the 13th, 1993, I honestly remember sitting in my office and watching what was going on in the White House lawn. The Oslo Accords were being signed, and I remember Mayor Weingarten of Blessed Memory and I were on the phone together just saying to each other, this just doesn't feel right. There's something that just doesn't feel right. And Rory Przanski was pretty outspoken at the time, and I don't think he's ever stopped voicing the opinion that we could have done without the Oslo Accords. He's with us live via telephone. Uh, Rory Przanski, I take this opportunity to wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year and say welcome back to JM in the AM. Nahum, it's great to be with you, and thank you for the reminder. Mazel tov on the 40th anniversary of JM in the AM. You've inspired so many Jews over the years, and I could say without any hesitation at all that your 40th anniversary is much more meaningful to the Jewish people for what you accomplished for the Jewish people 
to the 30th anniversary <laughs> of the signing of the Oslo Accords. Well, All right, it's a low bar, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if I should take that as a compliment or not, but boy, <laughs> how right you are, unfortunately, uh, for us, the Jewish people. And um, do you? Rem- I remember seriously where I was watching the ceremony. Do you remember where you were 30 years ago today? Uh, yeah, I was probably in my law office at the time. And it was uh, pretty depressing, the the feeling that you and Mayer had, I had, and was shared by many others as well at the time. It just didn't make any sense. I mean, to bring your enemy into your heartland, give them territory, weapons, and money, well, what could go wrong with that? Yeah. And it's the euphoria of the time, which was based on the most unrealistic expectations that human behavior can change overnight, that it was impossible to stop that galloping train. And the consequences for Israeli society have been ominous in any number of ways, and we still feel the after effects. I mean, obviously the terror uh, still exists and has only grown over the years, but I think one lingering aspect that people don't think about that often It was the first time that the Israeli government put its name on a paper that said that the Jewish people do not have the right to the land of Israel, in whole or in part. And think about it, it's 30 years, you have a whole generation of Jews in Israel and in America that have been raised thinking that, well, why are they there if if they have agreed that the land really belongs to the Palestinians, at least on some level? Why are they there? So the narrative of occupation grew as a result of Oslo. Instead of what the Israeli government of the time thought, that it would lead to acceptance and recognition of Israel, the land of Israel, the state of Israel, within recognized borders. The exact opposite happened. So that is an educational malpractice that has been very hard to undo. Oh, so true, Rabbi. Stephen Brzezanski is with us. You know, and, and there's so many levels to this, and, and you spoke just a moment ago or alluded to the frailty of human behavior, the frailty of, uh, of, of human, uh, I guess, in a way, you know, the hope of humanity. You, want to, you wish things were a certain way. We see that in this country right now where, you know, there, there are certain cities that are crime-ridden and the leaders of those cities you know, get on, get on the broadcast and tell everybody how, you know, crime continues to diminish in their area. And it's just like they don't want to address the real issue. And I think to, to a degree, and I'm sure you agree with this, the people negotiating Oslo or who dreamt of Oslo, who were in Israel, the biggest problem is, and the Abraham Accords, of course, proved all this, the biggest problem is there was never a responsible peace partner. There was never a responsible person or organization on the other side that legitimately wanted peace and that one can negotiate a real peace agreement with and i think that that one what was the what that was one of the first great illusions of the oslo process was that they made believe that the person and people on the other side of the table were as anxious for peace as they were right one of the uh more exorable cliches of the time was that you make enemy you make peace with your enemy not with your friend Well, that is partially true. The fact is you make peace with your enemy who wants to be your friend, not peace with your enemy who still wants to be your enemy. And it's the delusional aspects of Aslo that really border on the pathological. 
just a few weeks after Oslo, the first victims of terror were killed in the land of Israel. In Batra, there was a suicide bombing a month after Oslo, but nothing could dissuade them. You recall another unfortunate cliche that Shimon Peres used to use, sacrifices for peace. Anyone who died as a result of terror, there were sacrifices for peace. Just four months after Oslo, and the, the accords were signed, January 1994, Arafat spoke to Arab diplomats in Stockholm, and it was recorded, and it was publicized just a few weeks after that, in which he said this is similar to the Treaty of Quraysh that Muhammad had signed with the Jewish tribes in the Arabian Peninsula, a temporary peace for the purpose of weakening them and then destroying them which is what happened to the tribe of Quraysh. So he did not see that uh, see this as the ultimate reconciliation and peace. He saw it as a way, literally, to get a foothold in the land of Israel, bring in his terror crew, and continue his nefarious and murderous ways. The fact that Israel knew this, the fact that I knew it, but the fact that the Israeli government knew it, and didn't say, whoa, what are we talking about? Why are we accommodating him? Why are we trying to tell our public that Arafat just has to speak that language in Arabic to his people, and he doesn't really mean it? What he really means is that he's a person of peace. (laughs) (laughs) It's pathological. You know, last week I saw on television they showed a clip of one of uh, Robin's uh, granddaughters. I think her name is Noah Philosoph being interviewed in the late 90s, early 2000s, and she said of Arafat, he was like a Dod Hamud, like a dear uncle, a cute uncle, who would come to our home all the time, and he would play with us, and he was so uh, so uh, amicable, so friendly. This guy was a mass murderer of Jews and others. He has the blood of thousands of Jews on his hands, but the extent of the delusion was that suddenly he's transformed in the eyes of the left to a Dod Hamud, to some cute uncle. And one of the things that we're pondering here in Israel these days, you know, there's never a dull moment in Israel, which is all <laughs> part of the process of redemption, is that the parents of the founders of Oslo, at least their ideological parents, are those who brought upon us the debacle of the Yom Kippur War whose uh, 50th anniversary is next week. Right. And it's the children, the spiritual children, the ideological children of the Oslo uh, founders who are now taking the streets in order to essentially overthrow the Israeli government and turn Israel's Supreme Court into a judicial dictatorship because the people have spoken. Oslo turned off a large percentage of the Israeli population, one reason why the two-state illusion is a dead letter, even the left doesn't speak about it. But the the fact is, the people vote, and they voted for right-wing government after right-wing government, not that it's always governed as a right-wing government, but the only remnant they have of their privileged elite status is the Supreme Court, an undemocratic Supreme Court, and that's why they do not want to tamper or allow the Knesset to tamper with its methodology of judgment and certainly not its composition. Because if they do that, then they've lost everything. So that's the bitter irony that we're living through today. Well, it also has part of the after effects yeah. of, the, of the Oslo Accords 
that they, the only way to retain Israel as a democracy is to have this undemocratic institution right. essentially rule on everything that happens in the society. But I, I still would not argue that they would that it's the only thing they have left and that they'd lose everything if they lost this, because frankly, when you have the media on your side the way they do at this point, and that really hasn't changed much. I mean, you some might say it's changed a little bit over the last few years, but it hasn't changed much. I mean, when you have the media these days, you basically have it all. I mean, I get it. The judicial Very system. Very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very powerful because the media controls the narrative. But I was talking about the governmental institutions. Right. No, I get that. I get that, and I appreciate that. All right, Stephen Brzezinski with us live via telephone. Now, you will, you've said this publicly, but I'm curious about some of the details. Uh, you made it well known, as, as, as I said, you had one of the world's largest congregations here in New Jersey, and obviously a congregation very concerned about Israel. And you made it well known, I don't know when, um, but certainly everyone knows it now. Uh, that members of the Israeli government, consulate, representatives in America, you could tell us details to the degree that you wish, tried to convince you and others who are coming out in leadership roles against the Oslo Accords uh, to temper your uh, your criticism of the Oslo Accords. I'm curious, September the 13th is the White House ceremony. In July, a lot of people didn't even realize uh, outside of, of Jerusalem's you know secret hideouts uh, that these negotiations were going on. So when did this happen? Was it in August before? 40 officials signing that some officials tried to dissuade you from uh, speaking out against the accords? No, the, the first word that we got of anything that was happening was in August, the end of August, when the negotiations that were taking place in secrecy, and by the way, in defiance of Israeli law, right. which at the time um, prohibited meetings with PLO officials, then we got word of something going on, and the process really unfolded very, very quickly. I was still in Queens, by the way, at the time, in Kew Gardens Hills. Ah, I remember it. late September 93, maybe early October, Itamar Rabinovich came to speak in the Young Israel of Kew Gardens Hills. And uh, it was a very raucous crowd. You know, Rabbi Fabian Schoen, for blessed memory, he was another outspoken opponent of Oslo. And to my horror, I must say, someone threw a tomato at uh, Ambassador Rabinovich. In the middle of the shul, it missed him, hit the iron of Kodesh. And there's a little bedlam. I remember someone got up and said to uh, Rabinovich, who was trying to extol the virtues of the Accords, that uh, this is worse than Chamberlain, worse than uh, the, uh, the appeasement at Munich. And I stood up and I said, I actually raised my hand, I didn't yell out. Uh -huh. And I said to the fellow who said this in the audience, you know, Rabbi, I really must disagree with you because Chamberlain gave away Czechoslovakia to the Germans. He didn't give away part of England and, and, and say he's going to give half of Yerushalayim in the future. So this is the half of London in the future. Right. So actually, this was a worse appeasement than was. So I, I wrote some articles about it, I spoke about it. And then the consulate called us in, uh, maybe 10, 12 rabbis, to try to moderate our opposition and I remember quite vividly, the speaker was God Ben-Ari, who at the time was the press attaché to Prime Minister Rabin. And he could not speak in, in more flowery language of the era of peace that was upon us. You know, you could just see the angels floating in the sky and uh, holding hands with, uh, you know, terrorists and taking away their Kalashnikovs and their bombs and, and everyone is happy and everyone is a kumbaya. And I asked him a few questions. And this, again, shows the extent to which they were given over to this mania. I asked him, 
that short of Arafat planting a bomb in the Knesset and blowing it up, how will you define what is the metric whether the chords are a failure success? Because that would seem to be a failure. And he said to me, no, no, no. Even if that happened, it would not be a failure because by definition, a process can never fail. It's always a process. And that's why they named it the Oslo process or the peace process. Right. It's always just a little ahead, you know, like the, the plastic dog at the racetrack. You can't <laughs> ever get it, but it's always something that – not that I would know about that, by the way. It's, it's what always is, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with us, I ask over right, and right. over and over. It's, just, it's unbelievable. I, 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 I don't even know what to say. And I grew up in a home – I mean, I, I would never – Certainly, publicly, I would never criticize Menachem Begin. He was a hero to so many of us. I grew up in a home that was very, very uh, pro-Begin, but frankly, uh, you know, against Camp David. I mean, that, this is the reality. This was my father's position on the matter. I thought it was a terrible idea. Um, and, and again, you know, I've debated with I don't know how many people, including in the Orthodox world, including in the right-wing, um, right-wing political, Orthodox, religiously world, uh, you know, so many of whom have pointed out, you know, look at the peace agreement that Camp David uh, spawned with uh, with Egypt. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the incredible, you know, the, the lives that weren't lost because of it. But, but it is hard not to believe that that uh, episode of the Camp David Accords was not the uh, precursor for Oslo. Uh, in fact, today on Wikipedia, I didn't even realize this. Uh, they actually described the framework of the Oslo Agreement to be based on the framework of the agreement with Egypt. So, you know, as much as we as we would like to and I know that you, know, you you and I might be criticized because we're definitively coming out against Oslo and some might argue there are some positive points to it, as much as people love to come out pro Camp David, this might be, do you agree, this might be one of the drawbacks of that agreement? I do agree. I think Begin's uh, approach was to take the largest Arab country out of the anti-Israel mix in the hope that having diffused that country's aggressiveness, it might pave the way for other agreements or make a more, much more unlikely. The problem I had with it, both at the time and in retrospect, is this whole notion of land for peace. Right. Land for peace is a concoction specifically for Israel and its neighbors. It's applied nowhere else in the world and no other time in history that you reward the aggressor who was defeated with the land that he used as a launching pad in order to attack you. It's never happened before. It's never happened since, and there's a good reason for it. All you do is incentivize aggression. Well, how have the Camp David Accords worked out? The truth is it's uh, 45 years since they were signed, and Egypt has gone from pro or friendly to Israel to cold to Israel, to hostile to Israel. And now there's an important alliance between Israel and Egypt that I hope continues. But when I look at the Camp David Accords, which actually had many more positive ramifications than did the Oslo Accords, I think of something that Henry Kissinger wrote in one of his books. He was sitting with the Chinese Prime Minister, Cho Enlai, and uh, he asked uh, Cho, what, is, what are the long-term consequences of the French Revolution, 1790s? Right. So now you're talking about 180 years after that. Right. And Cho and Lai responded, it's too early to tell. Oof. 
Okay. Yep. It's the same thing with the Camp David Accords. So Halavite should continue with peace, with uh, alliances, with shared interests, which now exist with Egypt, but you c- can never tell down the road what's going to happen. And especially considering that uh, the Arab world is uh, a little volatile, right. to use an understatement. Right. The other thing I wanted to mention about this uh, this uh, meeting at the consul with God Ben-Ari I, I said to him, what logic does it make to bring your enemy into your heartland and give them weapons? You're rendering your defenses vulnerable. And he said to me in these words, which I'll never forget, if there's peace, why do we need a defense? And that was the mindset. That's how much they were obsessed with this notion that the a new world was upon us and a new Middle East. Paris spoke at the time that Gaza is going to be like Singapore. No, it didn't happen. <laughs> really? <laughs> he should be held to account for it. I mean, take away the Nobel Peace Prize. Do something. Gaza is not Singapore. Gaza is a haven for terror and a place of tremendous misery for the people who live there, the Arabs who live there, much less as a base to threaten uh, all of Israel. People who are so bright can be so wrong when their minds are made up and are not subject to the uh, mitigation of facts and reality. And like I said, uh, and and we have a million examples of that today on both sides of the world. So it's not like it's such a foreign concept to everybody. Right. People people make things up uh, based on on, on either their own realities or the way they want their reality to be. You know, one other thing we have to point out that um, is so vital and important. You you alluded to it earlier uh, because you were speaking of the immediate uh, terror attacks that took place after Oslo was signed. And obviously those are significant and, and we need to remember all the victims. But in addition to that, there was a period of time. You remember it. You, you remember it very well. There was a period of time uh, over a period of years where the massive terror attack was a daily occurrence. And, and those who think I'm exa- sure. yeah, those who think I'm exaggerating, you know, it may not be daily, but boy, it was close to it. Sometimes multiple attacks in days. I'm talking about bus bombings and and, and multiple murders, and you know the taking of lives on, on uh, you know during holidays and and through episodes that took you know tens of people at a time, and you know and all of that. You know, those of us who remember, that was years after Oslo was signed, years later. So if any... There was a great, there was a great spurt of terror in 1996, which led to the election of Benjamin Netanyahu for the first time. Right. And of course, what you're referring to is the major wave of terror in 2001 and 2002, right. where there were daily and weekly attacks on Jews, suicide bombings. You know, Pizza and uh, the discotheque in Tel Aviv and on and Cafe and Hillel. Sa- and Seder Night. And, and Seder Night. Seder Night, the Park Hotel in Netanya, on and on and on. And the the attitude was amongst the Israeli establishment at the time, well, there's no military solution. So they were wrong about that also. It turned out there was a military solution. And when uh, the Operation uh, Protective Shield began in uh, Jenin, in 2003, within a few months, the terror had stopped almost completely because, once again, Israel was able to patrol in the Arab towns and villages and thwart the terror. And that was uh, very critical to having some type of 
some type of relative serenity in the land of Israel. Yeah, no question about that. All right, Stephen Brzezinski is with us. We're talking about the 30th anniversary of Oslo. By the way, um, you know, we were, we were talking about, you know, one thing leading to another. Uh, would you argue, as I tend to do, that the 2005 Gaza disengagement was yet another chapter of this uh, uh, unrealistic expectations that, you know, were, were so prevalent during the Oslo Accords? It took it to the next level, and it was carried out, of course, by a former Likudnik who had uh, left his party because the Likud membership voted against it. And, yeah, look, there were at the time some uh, personal considerations that he had. He was about to be indicted, and he was able to preclude the indictment by going down this unfortunate road. But no doubt one thing led to another, and that itself has uh, had very, very uh, harmful consequences to Israel. One other thing that's important to point out on the anniversary is that Oslo passed by with a minority of Jews in the Knesset voting for it. I Meaning one of the accords passed 61 to 59 and the Jewish vote was 59 against and like 50 in favor. So all those people who speak today about making narrow decisions in the Knesset on judicial reform, 64 to 46 by the way, if you're only counting the Jews in the Knesset, 64 to 56 on if you count the Arab opposition members, well, it's a it's a greater majority now than it was then. Mm-hmm. But no one said then that well, you can't pass these accords with such a narrow majority. It's going to uh, upset the whole population. No, I remember Yitzhak Rabin saying specific, saying openly, explicitly about those who oppose those who opposed Oslo. They can spin like propellers. He doesn't care what they have to say. He had no uh, hesitation in ramming through the vote on a very narrow basis with most Knesset members who are Jews voting against it simply because he had committed himself to that policy. So all the talk today about having narrow votes in the Knesset, it's all bogus. It's all narrative. It's all media spin of those who are opposed to the current legislation. One other thing we should mention, by the way, in addition to Gaza and uh, the terror attacks and the waves of terror that we talked about and other things that were a result of Oslo, people forget we were this close to losing (laughs) a significant portion of Jerusalem. We were this close, if not for Arafat's stubbornness, frankly. You know, God knows what... You're talking about uh, Ehud Barak, who (laughs) somehow has revived himself in the last few months. He offered Arafat the Harabayat, the Kotel, half of Yerushalayim, almost all of Yudan Shomron, all of Gaza, and including some other land in the Negev, and Arafat still said no. Unbelievable. Still said no. So right. We have him to the we- chagrin, the chagrin of uh, Bill Clinton, but I also recall vividly one of the Arabists in the State Department, who's now an ambassador, Robert Malley, saying at the time, hey, it's not only Arafat, it's the Israelis also. Oh, what do the Israelis do? Well, he couldn't say. <laughs> but even the even the anti-Israel figures in the State Department, they didn't become any more pro-Israel as a result of Oslo. They still harbored this negativity. Understood. But by the way, there's something to all that, and as silly as it might sound, because Frankly, you know, world jury, those who live in Israel and those who live outside of Israel should always have been, no matter what level they were, should always have been even more outspoken about our love for and our desperation to keep Jerusalem. Yes, 
I don't doubt that at all. I mean, Yerushalayim is uh, the city of all Jews. It's the spiritual center of the Jewish people. Harabayat, the Temple Mount, is Harabayat. Yeah, I wish Jews took a greater interest. And even looking back at that time and comparing it to today, I, I think it's important that Jews not just accept what the, the government or the opposition in this particular case says at face value. You have to look beneath the spin, beneath the politics, and think what is in the greater interest of Klai Yisrael, right. of the Jewish people? What furthers Israel as a Jewish state? What could bring the redemption closer? That's what we should be focused on. And if we do that, and especially Jews in the Galut, they, they look at Israel that way, and not just, you know, as the Disney World to visit and again a week or two of spiritual experiences and then, then go back. No, 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 because this is the future of all of Kal Yisrael. Everyone will be here someday, we hope. And therefore, it's not just interest, but people should wake up in the morning thinking what they can do to strengthen the land and the people of Israel. A lot of Jews do that. I mean, obviously, you're one of them, but a lot of Jews do that. Their passion is the state of Israel, the land of Israel, the people of Israel. But we need many more Jews to take that interest and be a little less complacent. Oh, so true. The future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. Can't say it enough times. Rabbi Stephen Przanski, love your clarity. Always have and always will. I thank you so much for joining us. And I wish uh, and I, I convey to you and your family a happy, healthy, sweet new year. Enjoy 5784 in the Holy Land. Amen. Nachum to you, your family, and all your listeners. There he is, Rabbi Stephen Przanski, on this 30th anniversary of Oslo here at JM in the AM. Since I was a child, I followed in your ways. Now that I am older, it is harder, I must say. I have my own free will, still I choose you. Being a servant's not a burden when you're working for the king. Who loves you like a son and daughter, only wants to bring you closer. Bring me close. Oh, and I feel so far from where you
בת יצא, עוד יום נכנס. אני רוצה להתעורר. יש בי חיים אמיתיים, אני לא מוכן להתפשר. לא. רוצה לנשום אותך ולא ראות כל רגע בחיי. אומרים להסתפק במה שיש, אבל עוד לא אהבתי די. יש בך עוד אמונה, תן לה לשמוח ולזרוח גם מבלנים. פתח לתפילה שלך עוד שם, מים זוהחת שבשמיים רק למחכים. יש בי...
going to Jerusalem to build the Beit Hamikdash. We're going to Jerusalem to build the Beit Hamikdash. We're going to Jerusalem to build the Beit Hamikdash. Fabrengen all day long. We're going to Jerusalem to build the Beit Hamikdash. We're going to Jerusalem to build the Beit Hamikdash. We're going to Jerusalem. Build the bed amigdash, but bring it all night long. Let's bring Mashiach, Zidkenu, let's bring Mashiach, Zidkenu, let's bring Mashiach, Zidkenu, Imera Beyamenu. Let's bring Mashiach, Zidkenu, let's bring Mashiach, Zidkenu. Let's bring Mashiach, Zidkenu, Bimhera ve'ameinu. Urchim le'erushalayim, Bimnot et peta mikdash. Urchim le'erushalayim, Bimnot et peta mikdash. Urchim le'erushalayim, Bimnot et peta mikdash. Barbrengen kol hayom. We're going to Yerushalayim,
Cats with uh, Cole Dodi done live at a chuppah here at JM in the AM. Yesh Munad done by Mordechai Shapiro and Shmuel Aryeh Kunzler Nitzig Dadja together with Avodat Halev here at JM in the AM. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment. A lot of great comments about the 40th anniversary. I think we'll save some of them for tomorrow here at JM in the AM. Um, yeah, 
A lot of nice things being said about the last 40 years. Reminisce with us tomorrow morning. We'll be uh, gathering together at Poppy's on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck between 6 and 9 a.m. Uh, join us tomorrow for that here at JM in the AM. Uh, hope to have a lot of great uh, live in-person guests and a lot of great live on telephone guests joining us tomorrow. And a big thank you again to Mark Zomick, who has been coordinating everything for tomorrow. Much appreciated. And, of course, all the members of our amazing staff. And a big thank you to uh, L.E.Y. Katz and his leadership role here in Teaneck, New Jersey, also doing a tremendous amount of coordinating. Um, and uh, a big thank you to Yaakov at Poppy's on West Englewood Avenue, who's giving us the run of the place tomorrow, which is much appreciated, to say the least. And we will be um, reminiscing, discussing uh, how JMN began back on Erev Rosh Hashanah 1983, and we've gotten to this point, Baruch Hashem, Beliyayin Hara, 40 years later. Just amazing. Just amazing. Uh, JM and the AM Chesed uh, project is on, of course, during this month of Elul, in memory of the great Yankee Meyer. Go to nachomsegel.com slash chesed, nachomsegel.com slash chesed for the list of suggestions that we have for organizations and people to help this time of year. Rabbi David Goldwasser speaks a week from tonight at the Young Israel of East Brunswick. Big Eshikach to B and Ralph Rosenbaum for sponsoring the event. Again, Rabbi Goldwasser on the topic of reaching out to Hashem, the fine art of tshuva. A week from tonight, September the 20th, at the Young Israel of East Brunswick. Circle your calendar. Come on out and be inspired. Hard not to be inspired, frankly, when Rabbi Goldwasser speaks with us in general. Uh, but when he speaks to us about tshuva, he's just, especially this time of year, he's just unbelievable. Um, so we look forward to that uh, tomorrow. And um, what else can I tell you? Tomorrow, the big celebration, Friday, era of Rosh Hashanah, normal Friday for us, including the weekly update and more. So make sure to be tuned in over the next couple of days. Uh, today, Yossi's Wag with a Wednesday live lunch beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in for that and much, much more all day long right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Sod la en milim ve 
Yishtabach Shimcha is the name of that one here at JM in the AM. Yoni Z with Anenu. You heard Cold OD done by uh, Eitan Katz. JM in the AM, good morning. So Wednesday, 13th of September, day 27 in the month of Elul. Guess what? Brand new year starts on Friday night. Tomorrow we celebrate the 40th anniversary of JM in the AM. Feel free to join us here on West Englewood Avenue at Poppy's. And certainly feel free to uh, join us by tuning into this great radio broadcast here at JM in the AM. Um, what else did I want to mention to everybody? So tomorrow, our big 40th anniversary celebration, we'll be uh, hopefully uh, spending a lot of the morning uh, reminiscing and telling some good stories and uh, speaking to a lot of wonderful guests via phone and live and in person. Friday morning, our final broadcast of 5783, Erev Rosh Hashanah, the actual 40th anniversary of JM in the AM. We'll have our weekly update, Rabbi Yudin, of course, Harry Rothenberg, and much, much more as we close out the year. And then next week, well, Sunday, obviously, uh, no programming. It'll be the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, but Monday, Tzom Gedalia, we're here. And I hope you'll be with us every single uh, day that we broadcast during 5784. Please, God, wishing all of our wonderful listeners a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. Wrapping things up with our friends from Dvekas. You're listening to a, this is a classic selection all the way back from the Dvekas volume number one as we close out a uh, Wednesday here at JM in the AM.
Israel and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at AlchemSingle.com on the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSNF. Wraps up an amazing uh, Wednesday here at JMM. My thanks to Stephen Brzezanski for joining us earlier. If you missed the conversation, go to the archive section later of AlchemSingle.com. Or on the NSN app. Make sure to be tuned in. Tomorrow morning, it's our 40th anniversary celebration, believe it or not. JMN began Erev Rosh Hashanah back in 1983. We celebrate 40 tomorrow at Poppy's, West Englewood Avenue, Teaneck, New Jersey, for the live broadcast between 6 and 9 a.m. Come by and join us. Should be a great day tomorrow of reminiscing and uh, <laughs> going over 40 years of doing this broadcast. Have a fabulous Wednesday till tomorrow. Nachum Segal reminding you: remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.